everybody. Welcome to another episode of Friends Shocking Nerdy. This is Tim Jasmine. And I am Kim. Another week is upon us. This is yep. two straight months of Friends Talking Nerdy since we got back in the scheme of things wow. again. So Time flies when you're having fun. I know, right? Um, and with that, I thought, since we're about, um, recording-wise now, we're about five days away from Thanksgiving. Something five, like that, yeah. yeah. I thought we'll take a chance to give thanks for something. What do you got to be thankful for this year? Oh, gosh. Well... I'm thankful that I made it through another year. I mean, it's been it's been a difficult. It's not year. over yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of a difficult year. I've had some challenges at work and at home, and what? No. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'm thankful that I've got through it, and and I'm I'm doing okay, and yeah, and the world hasn't ended in a fiery cataclysm yet. So I'm thankful <laughs> for that. Yeah. I, I get that. Um, yeah, I mean, this past year has definitely been unique for me as well, to put it lightly. But um, the last couple months have definitely... Um, ha the building blocks for positive change for me have definitely been in place. You know, being able to, um, you know, make amends for stuff that, mm -hmm. that, you know, that was really weighing on me. You know, that weight is definitely off my shoulders now, now and I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, seeing my kids, you know, my oldest is on his way to college. My freaking God. Crazy. Yeah, my youngest, um, <laughs> you can follow him on Twitter at Memer Another, <laughs> um, and he, he would love that. Uh, he's he's quite the interesting cat always always has been he's quite funny um my daughter um haven't talked to her in a while but you know she's my daughter i love her of course definitely of thankful course. for her last but not least i'm definitely thankful that we're partners i'm thankful for that too you know just yeah just yeah you've meant a lot to me so i'm glad that we can you know not only share life that we can share the show now yeah it's been really it's been a challenge sharing my space. <laughs> I have lived alone for a long time, mm -hmm. but it's been really nice to have somebody to come home to. There you go. I mean, that sounds really cliched, but it's true. Yeah. I, I feel a lot less kind of lonely and everything, and it's it's been it's been a challenging change, but a good change. Yeah. Oh, I forgot, Phil. Thankful for Phil. Phil's the cat. Yeah, got him in uh, April. Went to the Humane Society, and he's uh, twelve. I'm going to be thirteen in April. Haha, <laughs> imagine that. Uh, probably sooner, but you know, I, I will count his it, birthday as you when know, I got him. We you know. can't. We never. It's hard to. It's hard to nail down a cat's age yeah. when they come to the shelter. They usually base it on their teeth and their size and everything. I mean, um, my cat is going to be probably 11 next year yeah because she uses from the shelter too mm -hmm. and everything so yeah and you know i the reason i you know got him one he was I, you know just in a, in a room with other cats and you know when i first got him i was in a different place with a different cat and i thought it was important to get someone that was to get a cat that was a little more sociable, but I wanted to get an older guy. I mean, if you're going to yeah. adopt, uh, adopt an older one, adopt an ugly one, you know, just <laughs> uh, not, I mean, Phil's gorgeous as a cat, but, but, you know, just, th there are some animals that will 
be there and will ultimately be put down depending on the type of shelter it is mm. just because they're not ones that could be in a movie on a magazine cover or, you know look good in a christmas film yeah and a lot of like people that. think that if you adopt an older cat that they're going to die soon and you're not going to get many years with them and that's just not true because i adopted a cat who was estimated age of 11 when he was adopted I had him until he turned 21 and I, w- I would counter with this, you know, like take Phil, let's say two years from now he does pass on. I hope that's not the case, but let's say it happens. I still hope to give him two years of one hell of a great life. I yeah. don't want to see him go back into shelter. I don't want to see him run away and, you know, I mean, he wouldn't survive. He's outside. not, he's not going to run away. There's well, no way. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. He's, he follows me around like crazy. Yeah. He, <laughs> He is absolutely devoted to Tim. It's all, it's very cute. It's like, he likes me too, but it's only mostly when Tim's not here. Because yeah. if Tim's here, he's like Tim's number one buddy. He follows <laughs> Tim around. He always wants to be in the same room as Tim. Well, he follows Tim around mostly because he's very food motivated. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the case with most stray animals. They become extremely food motivated. Imagine that. Yeah. You don't know when your next source of food is coming from. Well, and also too, we do got I could got to take him to the vet again because he probably does have a thyroid issue as well. Older cats yeah. do tend to have that, and yeah. you know, it's do I want to put a bunch of money into food or you know medicine to where he's not eating as much? Yeah, well, he he was thin to begin with. Yeah, from his days as a stray. So yeah, but you know that's something we'll get all sorted out. But he's a great cat. He is. He's very, very cute, very sweet, very snuggly. And very photogenic. He is very photogenic. Just like true. his old man. <laughs> All right. Uh, she's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Did you meet his daddy in Mississippi? Yeah. Um, all right. Um, well, on to the show this week. Yes. Uh, yeah, so... I dived deeper into Disney Plus and rewatched a movie I hadn't seen since February, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I haven't watched it since it, since we saw it in the theater. Yeah, um, really good movie. Um, quick review on it first. I, if, on its surface, it's just the story, just the movie itself. It's very simple, but very good mm-hmm. at what it does. It's not a movie that was looking to change you know, anything. It wasn't trying to offer a different type of superhero movie. It was just a basic... It was formulaic, but formulaic is not always bad. Well, you just said that it wasn't, they weren't trying to, like, create a different type of superhero. But I kind of beg to differ. But, but that, that that's what I'm, I'm, I'm getting to. Okay. Because it's, it's with Captain Marvel, it, it's kind of like what Rod Serling did with the Twilight Zone. Now, for critics out there, I'm not saying Captain Marvel stands with, you know, some of the stuff that the Twilight Zone did. But what I'm trying to say is that with Rod Serling and the other writers on that show tried to do is that they tried to write stories that... For people that don't want to look for a meeting, mm-hmm. they could they could sit back and enjoy it and have a, an interesting half hour. For people that do want to look for that meaning, th- there's more meat on the bone there for them. It's it's kind of a, a, a dual layer thing, and it's really tough to accomplish that. But I think this movie did it well when it comes to talking about the life of women. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you get my point that way? I see what you're saying. Yeah, so when I watched it, um, you know, first of all, I love on the Disney Plus app, some of their movies come with director's commentary. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, and, and they have a lot of the old, uh, they have a lot of deleted scenes as well. Um, even with the original Star Wars movies, they have the old, uh, like, Empire Strikes Back deleted scenes. Like, like uh, when there's a deleted scene, I wish they would have kept it. I guess they on, on Hoth, they kept some of the wampas, the ice creatures, uh-huh. uh, trapped in a in a like a cave in like a prison in, inside the base. But then once uh, the Empire started raiding Hoth base, three um, PO opens up one of them and oh, the, lets them out to yes, yeah, so, create to, more to, chaos. Yep, yeah. um, but but anyway, I was watching Captain Marvel and. What interested me was two characters. It was the male characters. It was Jude Law's character, Jan Rog, and it was Nick Fury. Who's Samuel L. Jackson, of uh, course. Samuel L. Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying. But I saw those characters, and, and as I was watching the movie, I was trying to think of it from not a white male perspective. I was trying to think of it, you know, what... How would a woman react to this? You know, and I, I, I've noticed a couple different things. And you know, the, when I tell you this, you're probably going to be like, "Yeah, and the sky is blue," but um, <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> yeah, but but the point is to be able to acknowledge this, to talk about it, because the more people in my position, the white male position, take the time to think about this stuff and talk about it, the more potentially somewhere down the road we could potentially work on making society better overall making better movies or better movies period or you know in my case since i'm a writer better stories you know if i'm able to think outside of my own you know box in in terms of thinking of other characters that have experienced stuff that i will never experience then that'll you know make me better able to create those characters and when it comes to interpersonal relationships in real life then i'm able to be a lot more empathetic and this is one of the reasons why i'm thankful for you is because you do think about things like this I try, you know. Well, you're better at it than uh, most most men that I know, so yeah. you should you should feel good about that. Now with uh, Jan Rog, I it was interesting how they portrayed him in the film. Um, for most of the film, he was presented as a good guy. Yeah, and then they twisted it, and it was like, what? Oh, spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, again... I know the movie's been out for a year, but still, I'm just like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like we said many times on this show, if we're going to talk about something, we're going to talk about it all, so, you know, there will always potentially be spoilers here. I mean, yeah. we, won't, we won't be dicks about it, but, you know, it, I mean, like... Plus, the movie's been out for, like, over... Almost a year now. So. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if but still, and I, if you think back yeah. to like our other reviews for like Endgame and whatnot, we did the non-spoilery, and then we had the you know, definitive yeah, but this. it was it was a kind of a shock to me when it was revealed that the Jula's character was actually not a good guy after all. But think about his performance upon watching it again. It was great because the Jude Law character. Um, that Jan Rog was there were seeds planted from the very beginning that it was not all on um, that he was not all in the up and up and what I noticed was his manipulation his little little words little little actions little gestures that kept Carol in her place essentially okay well I'm gonna have to watch this again then because mm-hmm. I just remember it being me seeing a couple things going hmm and then it got revealed that he was 
actually not a yes yeah. well it's it, yeah i mean i definitely recommend watching again uh in your case because and and i think if you do see it again you'll, you'll see my point of mm-hmm. that the seeds were planted from the very beginning um to you know show the audience that he was not who they initially want you to think he was um but the whole idea of how he subtly manipulated her throughout you know, and, and the other Cree as well, of course, you know, like the higher intelligence mm-hmm. being. Um, but I thought about it and it was just like, of course, you, you, you may have some critics that, you know, hear me say this, you know, some white guys and be like, well, I've had people treat me like that before, too. Of course, everybody's had a taste of st- something like that before. But imagine being a woman and having a lot more people do that to you on a lot more consistent basis. A taste of gaslighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gaslighting is not cool. And that's that's what the the term is for that when basically someone's trying to make you think something is true when it's really not yeah and yeah i think most women have had that happen to them at least once in their lives and that's it's really it's sad and it's it's sad that other humans feel the need to do that to each other it is and i mean it it's shows to me, overall, not just in the context of this film, but overall, I mean, because I've, you know, heard, I have other female friends of mine, you know, mentioned that before. I've seen it happen before, and it's like, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, how it shows to me the weakness of men overall, that they have to mm-hmm. use that manipulation, that they have to you know use whatever while they can to you know maintain their power it's it's a patriarchal thing you know guys you know guys just don't want to lose that power when the the thought should be you know let's get input from all sides let's you know let's build everybody up instead of you know maintaining what we got because maintaining what we have is you know led to a lot of interesting stuff that's not good very true and yeah, a lot of times superhero movies, they're they're trying to give us ideas of a better world. So it's it was it was good that they were showing that even in other super you know other alien societies, superhero societies, they still have the same weaknesses as we do. We can't just assume that like oh the alien race is superior mm-hmm. because they're this much smarter or whatever. But no. The, just because they have better technology or better something doesn't mean they're better. Yeah. Also, um, near the end of the movie, when, um, you know, the, the, essentially the final scene before she um, the finally defeats him and sends him on a ship back to back to the Kree world, mm-hmm. I did like how he tried his best to continue with the manipulation. Like, good girl, you learned the, you learned your lesson. Like, like his manipulations were a lesson to her or something like that, which made me think, I mean, that, that has to happen to women on a regular basis as well. You know, if a guy yeah. gets caught, he's going to do his best to try to continue that manipulation. Yeah, the one thing, though, is once you get to a certain age and you, you can recognize that, then you and you just are kind of like, yeah. You just don't have the power to have lightning bolts come out of your hands to slam no, the person back no. in the canyon wall. <laughs> I would like that though sometimes, but um, yeah, it's it's hard when you're a younger woman and you're still learning how to 
you know, how to figure out how to sort of stand up for yourself. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of cultural norms that tell women to be submissive and silent and quiet and all of that sort of thing. I mean, but a lot of it has to do with how you're raised. And I know my mama didn't raise me that way. She always raised me to be, to think for myself and not be afraid to show that you're, that you might be smarter than the men in the room. And that comes from what her own background of having to make her way in a male dominated field, mm-hmm. computers at a, at a time when the, you know, computers were just becoming widespread. She went to computer college in the seventies and learned how to be a programmer and was better at it than most men. Yet she still got paid less. Uh, and that happens and that today. Sort of I mean, and that happens today. Yeah. And then she turned that into a, you know, into an, a successful career where she was, you know, basically telling, telling men how to use the computer systems to run their businesses. And, I, you know, when I worked at Apple, I saw it all the time. Um, I won't name names for people that still work there, but I had, um, you know, situations where female, uh, in, you know, technicians um, far, far smarter than me would, you know, tell a customer the symptoms of, of their device and the customer would just be like, don't want to hear it. I want to hear it from a man. Yep. And, and then I would get dragged into that. I mean, I would try my best to, you know, you know, have have that, you know, female co-worker of mine there with me and say, what did you find? Oh, OK, this is what the problem is. And, and just, you know, try to reinforce that, you know, I am going to back up my 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 female co-worker because they're just as smart, if not smarter than I am. A lot of times they have to be smarter just yeah. to be able to make that point. And that's that's the thing, too, is is with women in a lot of fields you basically have to be you have to be better than anybody else in the room yeah. or else they won't take you seriously and that's that's a shitty thing it's a shitty thing to be experienced and it's a shitty it's it's just it's not fair it's not good it's not happening as much now but it still happens and the thing is though is that i think as a culture, it's gradually falling away because the men who think that way are getting older and dying. And I think it's really definitely started with the younger generation now because, like, I remember talking to my nephew who is now 11, oh, maybe two years ago about about playing video games and how playing video games with, with men, sometimes they get intimidated by my skills at video games. Mm-hmm. And he says... Well, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense. Why should your skills be better just because of your gender? And he said this. He literally used the word gender. Yeah. And I was just like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, you're right. Did you I'm... want a cookie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, you are right. And I I'm, was very happy to hear that yeah. coming from an 11-year-old boy. So there's hope that it's going to keep, that it's going to phase itself out. Yeah, and, and to be clear, I mean, it, we will never, ever, the, the world is imperfect. We're never going to get into a spot to where misogyny will go away, racism will go away, and all that stuff. Um, it would be so nice if it would, though. It would, but, you know, you got to be realistic. What we can be, what we can strive for is just making people open their eyes at this stuff you mm-hmm. know because I, th- I think a lot of the times and i've been very much guilty of this myself in the past is that you th- is that you see situations as 
how I would have gone through it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't put yourself into, into somebody else's shoes. And it's easy for me as a white guy to say, well, that's never happened to me, so I don't think it happens to anybody. Bull. Yeah, know? that's the key is to is to think, oh, because this never happened to me, it never happens. You can't think that way. No. Because your experience is going to be different than the experience of that person and that person, that person. Even if you're both white or you're both male, everybody's experience is going to be different. You just have to remember that and be respectful of that. You have to be, be open. You have to be open. And, and most of all, you have to be respectful. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, you know, when you gotta, you know, to me, women are equals, you know, it's, it's not, a, I, I don't, I've never, even when I pretended to be a Christian, I never, I, I, I bristled at the whole, you know, men are the head of the family type deal when, you know, when you're with somebody like in a marriage or a boyfriend, girlfriend, it is a partnership. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, I, 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 you know, I, maybe it's just because of, you know, growing up in a single parent household and seeing my mother, you know, have to work her ass off to, you know, keep, you know, food on the table and whatnot. But I've, uh, I've always seen strong, you know, women, you know, just kind of do what they can to fight. You know, they fight, they fight, they keep that smile on their face, but they're still fighting. They have to fight co-workers they have to fight everybody to maintain what they have but they keep on fighting and to me that that is admirable but i you know for me i want to do what i can to honor that fight by treating them with the respect they deserve and you know when it comes to you know stuff like my kids try to pass on that knowledge as well i don't you know if i found out my one of my sons you know were treating women in, in, you know in a derogatory way or something like that i'd be pissed well i'm I'm glad that you feel that way. <laughs> and I knew that you feel felt that way. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we're we're together and it's been a while now. Yeah. So almost two years, yeah. Almost two years, yeah. Yeah. Um and okay, and the other character of course I wanted to talk about was Nick Fury. And it's just one scene, but I really, really love this scene. It was um where uh the scrolls helped uh repurpose a, a, a ship um to fly into space to um, the secret headquarters that Marvell had set up with the other uh, Skrull families um, to stop the war between the Kree and the Skrulls. And um, Maria Rambo was riding the plane, and um, Nick Fury made a comment about her flying being nifty. And she came back with, you know, ultimately with the, with the line of, don't call my flying nifty again. And he didn't verbally respond, but his body language was just like I'm like an I'm sorry type of deal and if I mean Samuel L. Jackson is, an, is a master at you know conveying yeah. conveying words without speaking yeah he can like like twitch his eyebrow slightly and you're just like oh yeah <laughs> that sort of thing um uh, he did that and then Maria you know visibly you know accepted that with, with a smile on her face but I I dug that because it did show that Nick Fury you know put his foot in his mouth one people put their foot in their mouths and you know he graciously you know he graciously essentially apologized for for that silly comment because i think he you know once it was pointed out to him he realized yeah that was insulting that that was belittling yeah you know and and to me that showed too that the important message with that moment for men if they want to hear and they should is that you will put your foot in your mouth. You will say stupid things. 
but just apologize. Yep. You know, if if you truly respect women, you will apologize. And if we point it out to you, you'll say, I'm sorry, I'll do better. And you just go on. You don't just start spouting. But I, not all men. No, don't, don't do that yeah. because, you know, <laughs> I don't represent all men. I, I know represent you me. I represent me. That's all I, you know, that's all I can do, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I thought th- th- there's a lot of meat on the bone for Captain Marvel. Again, for folks that just want a good superhero action adventure movie, it's great. Yeah, I it, liked it. it. It's a great movie. But, um, you know, when it first came out, I called it political without being political. And it's political in a sense that it is giving you an eye, as a male, it's giving you an eye, an eye into the female world about the challenges they have to face from people essentially keeping them down. Mm-hmm. And it shows how much women have to fight to essentially you know in, in in a male eyes get on an equal level they shouldn't have to do that fight but they do and it's mm-hmm. it's up to men to start respecting that oh if only it was that easy but yeah yeah i and and i know i i'm not i'm not naive to think that me talking about this on this podcast is going to bring a wave of a wave of change yeah um it but again people... it's still it's it's an important conversation to have we should you know, just continue to have these conversations because the more we talk about it, the more people will change their minds. Exactly. Yep. Alrighty. So we kind of mentioned at the top of the show how we were thankful for things. Mm-hmm. So with Thanksgiving comes Christmas. It follows closely behind, especially closely this year, because Thanksgiving is like the last week of November. There isn't that kind of extra week buffer. So... This time of year is the time of year when everybody starts going, oh gosh, I should probably give something to charity. And everybody starts throwing food drives and clothing drives and all kinds of things like that. So I saw a webcomic this week on The Lily, which is a Washington Post uh, feminist website. And it was uh, written by a person named Sage Coffee, And it was about... um, her experience as a child with um, get, receiving food bank boxes or gifts like that around the holidays mm-hmm. and basically like giving pointers for things that you should and shouldn't donate. And so I thought it might be some a good thing to just to mention um, because a lot of people think of food drives as a great time to clean out the cabinets. Yeah. And then then they end up donating a whole bunch of fruit cocktail and expired food and that's no good for anybody. So it's just just as a reminder this time of year, a lot of companies will like put a barrel for the food bank in the lobby. Yeah, like and, Walmart for their workers. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do that. We well, we do things like that at my at my job, but um yeah. just keep in mind when you see that barrel, don't just bring all your expired soup or something like that. And so I went to the website for the Clark County Food Bank, and they had a list of good things to donate. Okay. And so don't donate expired stuff. Make make sure that it's all fresh and good. So some of the best shelf-stable foods to donate are peanut butter. It's an obvious choice. You can do a lot with peanut butter. Um, cooking oil. I hadn't thought of that. Cooking oil. Because, like, if, if you... 
if you get like uh if you want to saute some vegetables or something what are you going to use you need yeah. either butter or cooking oil um canned or dried beans uh canned fruit and vegetables not just fruit cocktail regular vegetables like beans peas corn things like that if you want to donate canned fruit maybe things like peaches pears stuff like that um shell stable milk canned meat tuna chicken things like that macaroni soup or broth tomato products and here's something i hadn't thought about spices and sauces and i'm just like you know you're right you could make like a lot of different things if you just have the right spices or a sauce for it and those things can make all the difference in taking a bunch of random foods from a food box and turning it into something tasty so yeah if you're gonna donate to a food drive this this winter maybe don't just clean out your cupboards put some good things in there too you gotta think of this too one thing that the news and you know people in power rich people that you know support fucking republicans um and, and whatnot want to give you the image of is that poor people are all leeches poor people deserve to be in their spot when the fact of the matter is um i, I read recently i think one in four uh people have been poor there have been a lot of people that have been poor there are a lot of people that um you know have to go get you know public assistance get an ebt card that you know are still working full-time jobs but because of this economy being stacked against the average person the way it is they they don't have enough you know an, enough to make ends meet well and keep also this too the federal minimum wage seven dollars and 25 cents it's a joke it hasn't been raised in 10 years yeah seven dollars and 25 cents that's not even enough to get like one meal at a fast food restaurant i mean fifteen dollars an hour is not enough to is is not really enough to survive if, if you're a family i mean yeah when, or if you live um in a in an urban area too it's yeah i mean you basically will be living in the burbs or somewhere yeah so really cheap basically you you know when it comes to food drives, you got to keep the mindset of what would I want to receive if I were yeah, on, on if the I other was, end? If I was getting a food box, what would I want? And I can think I'd want dried pasta or rice. I'd probably want some spaghetti sauce if possible. Mm -hmm. um, probably peanut butter, just because you can put peanut butter on just about anything and it'll fill you up. And then if I could get like, like if I could get fresh food too, if I got like some apples and some peanut butter... I'd be friggin' set for a while. Yeah. It's, it's again, the same thing with the conversation about Captain Marvel and, and you know, the patriarchal society we live in. This is not something that's going to go away like that. But, we you know, this, you know, the fact that we have to talk about this is a sign that, you know, this economy is messed up. Yeah, I thought the comic was really just the way it was drawn, too. And it was just really striking, how um how the artist had um shown like the the kid's face like like oh boy we got food and then oh sad we got like yams who the fuck's gonna eat yams? yeah we got like <laughs> you know three cans of of cranberry sauce and like one of was expired yeah or like literally she she mentioned in the comic too that once they got a three-year-old can of uh alphabet soup 
It had been expired for three years. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just so food drives. Food drives are great. If you want to contribute, that's awesome. Just make sure you take the time to check the food. Make sure it's not expired. Make sure the cans aren't rusty. Don't have a bunch of dents in them, because that can make the food go bad. And make sure you're, you're make this this food is going to organizations that are you know helping everybody. So not the Salvation Army. You yeah. want to make sure that you know they're helping not only the you know the the poster child of Republicans everywhere, the man and a woman marriage with with the three kids. Mm-hmm. But if a trans person is you know in need of food, make sure they have the food as well. If if you know just help your fellow person out. Yep. Treat them the way you want to be treated. You know, I'm, and I'm not saying buy like caviar and, and get oh that's that. ridiculous we're, we're no nobody essentials. wants caviar they'd much rather have tuna you get my point though I'm, yeah you know, i know it just stereotypical yeah over expensive or like you know say like now you're going to be going shopping for thanksgiving dinner pretty soon um you know if you know that your your company does a food drive at some point maybe pick up a few cans of soup as well at the same time or some chicken broth or a cup some cans of tuna and yeah. and just throw them in the trunk of the car and wait until the the bucket goes up or the barrel goes up at work and take them in yeah because you know cans of soup tuna not expensive at all no um, i mean you can buy like the store brand or or wait for a sale or if you go to costco like toss an extra 12 pack of chili canned chili in your in your cart yeah, I mean, like, really, if you just took $20, went to the grocery store, and you can you can get a lot of food for $20 that can help some people out. Yeah, you can get, like, a few bags of rice, you could get some dry pasta, you could get dried beans. Beans are really good. Yeah, and stuff like that, too, because, you know, you gotta, you gotta think, a lot of these people have, you know, kids and whatnot, so stuff like beans, rice, the noodles, will... You know, spread over a long period. Yeah, you, know, you can you're make not... like a lot at once and spread it over a couple of days. And... Yeah, you're not giving like one meal and that's it. But just help your help your fellow fellow person out. <laughs> yep, yep. I just I I just found that that comic really. I don't know. There's something about the way it drawn. It was just like, wow, this is really profound, and I felt like it it needed to be talked about. Did you post it on your Twitter? I did not, but I will after we finish recording this. So I guess by the time you listen to this, it will be on my Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? At Kim the Geek. All right, and mine is at FT Nerdy. <laughs> All right. So what did you want to talk about next? I know. Um. Well, another one of my favorite topics: professional wrestling. <laughs> oh boy. In <laughs> this time, I want to talk about um, w- you know, women's professional wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it back, you know, when I was a kid, that was the waning days of the fabulous Mula in, in her era. Um, okay. A unique character, but she had essentially a stranglehold on women's wrestling in, in, in this country. If you did not, if you were not trained by Mula, you would not work as a wrestler in the United States. Okay. You know, um, gradually, once Vince McMahon did his, you know, worldwide expansion of the WWE, um, you know, he brought her on board, but was able to, you know, bring in other people at that point, opening up the doors for women uh, wrestlers. Um, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a wrestler by the name, uh, her uh, professional name and other promotions was Medusa. Um, in the WWE, they called her Alundra, Alundra Blaze. She was a really good performer. She did a lot of great work in Japan that still stands up today in terms of athleticism. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s, people weren't ready for a woman to wrestle. 
you know, and, and, and also too, because of the fact that for the, because with Mula, um, before she wasn't an athlete, I mean, she could take what they call a bump and she was tough. I'm not saying she was, she wasn't tough or anything like that, but you know, she trained her women to do essentially like cat fights type of uh-huh. you know, hair pulling. And it just was not good at all. You know, and if you go to a wrestling match, you know it's it's scripted and whatnot, but you want the illusion that you're seeing two athletes in the ring. Yeah. And during the Mula era, you weren't getting that. Um, you had a taste with Medusa, but there wasn't enough talent in the United States to sustain that. Um, in the late '90s, uh, during what they call the Attitude Era, you did have uh, some performers come up like Lita, Trish Stratus, Mickey James, great performers. But again, the WWE during that time was primary when it came to their female performers, was more focused on tits and ass. They wanted they wanted pretty women, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> um, that was at the time that sold tickets. It sold tickets and also copies of Playboy. And what I found out thanks to a podcast is that during that time, Vince McMahon attempted to buy Playboy. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I think I remember reading something about that at some point. Uh, yeah. Goddamn, pal, that, that means bigger boobs. Come on. <laughs> well, but, wasn't he kind of going through a phase at some point in the 90s trying to buy just about anything? Uh, he he bought um, uh, the Debbie Reynolds uh, Hotel in Las Vegas and wanted to make it a WWE hotel yeah. and, and, and do that. He um, was interested in buying the Minnesota Vikings, which fell through, but that led to him creating the XFL. Um, which is coming back next year, um, um, things like that. And, and, you know, with, with his financial resources, like anybody, he's going to try to, you know, purchase a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, anyway, in the two thousands, you had more performers come along performers like Gail Kim. Um, one of my favorite, uh, uh wrestlers who's now in uh, AEW awesome Kong. She played a uh, welfare queen on, um, glow. Oh Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but Awesome Kong, just scary, scary woman. I, I love her in the ring. Um, but, you know, we are now at, uh, uh, this is essentially the golden age of women's wrestling because we now have women that that are viewed as legitimate athletes. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. I think the one person that we have to thank for that, it, you know, it started in uh, UFC, but she transitioned to the WWE is Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Once Ronda Rousey showed that, essentially blew away the myth that you know that women couldn't shouldn't perform in in those types of sports it opened the doors for other talented performer uh, female performers to be able to get in the ring and be treated treated like serious athletes um this is leading me to a little (laughs) bit of nonsense that's in the news today it's all about um now i i don't know if she was essentially stripped of the title but she was um associated with a group called ring of honor uh, she was their uh, champion, but they recently fired her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, situation is this: um, about a month or two ago, Ring of Honor fired an, another producer backstage. His stage name, when he was a performer, was Joey Mercury. Um, he had, you know, spent plenty of time in the WWE as both a performer in the ring and also a producer backstage. Um, and he he tried to be a producer backstage with Ring of Honor, but uh, when he was fired, he brought out some uh, company emails that he posted on Twitter mm-hmm. um, showcasing a couple of things. One, Ring of Honor does not have concussion protocols for their wrestlers. 
they don't have medical staff on hand unless they are in a state where where they have where it's required to um things like that and most importantly the female performers are all getting paid the same and i i told you what they were getting paid earlier yeah Um, yeah they're getting paid um i I, it it was updated from what i told you twenty thousand dollars a year that's less than what I make. That's less than what I make, you know. And 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 we're talking about women that are working for a company that's owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, the second biggest broadcasting company in the United States. Women that are being put on posters to advertise these things, they're getting paid less than the average convenience store worker or okay. fast food worker. So Who's representing these women? Do they not have agents? Um, Ring of Honor is not at the level of WWE, so um, some of them may have agents. I um, and I know with Kelly, her husband uh, is uh, BJ Widmer, who used to work with Ring of Honor, now works with AEW, um, and you know, so there's probably they they probably share an agent or something like that. But not you know, I know the WWE performers they they will have agents and whatnot. But if you're with a smaller organization, not so much. I mean, that's really, really shitty that they're paying them so little. It's... But at the same time, why are they not demanding more money? Why are they accepting it? Well, wrestling is weird um, because well, they I knew don't. That. Well, they don't. <laughs> the, it, for, the, the promoters have created. A situation essentially from day one in the business till today that they've created situations to where it, it they scare the performers into not forming a union you know um ring of honor same as wwe they're performers in the ring that do all that physical stuff that put their bodies in, in physical danger each and every night are independent contractors oh it's that bullshit yeah um and it's that it's wrestling overall needs a union it needed a union many years ago jesse ventura tried to uh create a union for the wwf uh back before wrestlemania 2 about a week before he got all all of the wrestlers together and was like you know now is the time we're one week away from wrestlemania 2 if we say we want a union or we're not performing we have the upper hand but guess who stooged him hulk hogan hulk hogan because hulk hogan was making the most money and if there was a union then everybody else would be getting paid more fairly and he wouldn't be making as much money so hulk hogan ended up uh ended up uh nixing uh, the first but uh, first time there was uh, a, a potential union coming up with the wwf and jesse ended up uh, doing predator not long after and you know ended up telling you know the other performers hey I got a sad card now. I, I'm a member of a union. The rest of you guys can kiss my ass, you know. Um, but with Kelly, this is a unique situation here because one, the, the the company has admitted that they pay all their female performers the same, which is you know shows how much they value their 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 female performers. When we are living in a world now where you know in the WWE, for example, at WrestleMania, you have women closing the show, the main event. You know, with Ronda uh-huh. Rousey, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch in the main event. There is a thirst in this country for people wanting to see you know women athletes in the ring, 
and yet they're treating uh, Ring of Honor's treating their talent like second-class citizens. And um, the reason they ended up firing Kelly Klein is because how dare she bring this information to the public? Yeah, you know it's Ugh. it's just absolutely ridiculous. I hope they end up uh, <laughs> because of the whole um, same pay uh, type of deal. I, I hope she's able to get a lawyer or something like that. But wrestlers really need to consider forming a union of some kind because. I, I just, you know, she she's talked about um, because she, she, they fired her by way by the way via email, and um, she has also been on the shelf because back in October she had a match and fell on her head, and, and she's been dealing with concussion. Uh-huh. You know, imagine being fired for an injury that you received while at work. While at work, yeah. You know, well, the thing is though, I mean. The NFL is well known for having lots of concussion issues, mm-hmm. but they have a union. They do. Is the union really going to help with that? It will because it will make sh- it will make sure that you know the. I mean, it will make sure that the workers are you know properly paid for one, but two, have the proper medical um, medical that they need uh, for to be able to do what they do on a regular basis, and, and that, that 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 includes having medical staff at each and every show. That also includes, you know, medical care after the fact. Because she talked about, you know, what Ring of Honor will do is that they will reimburse you if you have to go to the doctor. How many people, like if you have a severe concussion, how many people are going to be able to go to the doctor and pay for that out of pocket? Yeah. You know, it's it's great that they reimburse, but... You know, I mean, if you're making $24,000 a year, you're not going to have that type of money to be able to get a CAT scan, to be able to yeah. have everything else that, that needs to be done to treat a concussion. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's just... It's it's a sad situation. Kelly um, Klein for what she did for Ring of Honor. She, I, I, she's, she was one of my favorites there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but this really... Hearing this and hearing a lot of the other uh, stuff that uh, has come to light um, that is happening at Ring of Honor, um, I'm not going to watch Ring of Honor anymore uh, because of this, just because of how they're treating treating their performers. Um, you know, now the, now the performers themselves are able to earn money in other ways, you know, to, through because Ring of Honor is not on the scale of a WWE. Yeah. They allow their performers to work other independent shots. They can, um, there's a company called Pro Wrestling Tees that and works with wrestlers individually um, that, you know, a wrestler can create their own t-shirt designs and then, you know, the wrestler has more control over how much money they get. There's a company that does that with drag queens too there's money in it. I mean, if there's yeah. money in it, but, but that gave, that gives more freedom to the performers themselves. They're not, mm-hmm. it's not a WWE situation where the WWE is saying, here's the design for your new shirt. And, you know, and, and that's that, you know, so there are ways for these performers to, um, you know, still make money. And I, you know, Kelly made sure to, you know, say on her Twitter that if you are a fan of a performer in Ring of Honor, there are ways to still support them without giving your money to Ring of Honor. But um, just Ring of Honor, again, owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. They have the money to make sure that this does not happen. But one, they don't feel women are on the same level as men when the business has shown um, over the past 10 years that, you know, there is an audience for, you know, b- mm-hmm. people watching uh, female wrestlers. And WWE 
beat them to the punch, you know, with the main event at WrestleMania, that's a big deal there. Um, but two, just uh, just how they treat an injured person. You know, if if you are a business owner and you are doing what you can to not pay somebody to pay for the medical stuff uh, that they earn while on the job, you can't support that. Yeah, well, what it should be is like is like when you get in a car accident. If you get in a car accident, you go to the doctor's office. They'll take the insurance info for your car insurance and they'll bill them directly. Mm-hmm. That's what it should have been. Sinclair should have been like. Hey, just tell them to bill us directly. Yeah, I mean, they certainly got the money, but, you know, we're, of course, talking about Sinclair Broadcasting, which has notorious relations with Donald Trump. Um, yeah, they, they're they the ones who were pushing out to all of their local stations a whole bunch of, uh, basically, Trump propaganda that they were making all of their news anchors read on air. Yeah, so, don't watch Ring of Honor anymore support the performers in ring of honor you can still support them financially in other ways that don't involve giving ring of honor money but kelly klein was screwed now she's going to bounce back i mean again her husband works with aew and once she uh recovers from her concussion she's going to find work she is that talented she um is definitely someone to watch you know again i you know the best performers i like like a becky lynch um and whatnot are great athletes in the ring I want to see that, and, and she she's great at that, but the fact that a company is going to fire somebody for calling a company out on their nonsense, don't support that company anymore. Ring yep. of Honor Ring of Honor at this point needs to go away unless they make some major institutional changes. Well, hopefully they will. Hopefully. So I'd, rather, I'd like to go ahead and just uh, skip my fourth top, my second topic today. I'm not in the mood Board. anymore. Okay. Yeah, decided I don't want to talk about it. So I want to get right into our music of the week, All our right. recording of the week, because I like this, and I'd much rather talk about this. And it's our show, so we get to talk about what we want. Damn right, baby. Yep. All right, so my choice for this week was The Smiths, The Queen is Dead. And a little background about Smiths, 1982, formed in Manchester, England. Uh, this is their third album. Uh, published in 1986. Um, it was the first album that I purchased by the Smiths. I bought it on one of my downtown Portland buying jaunts on cassette when I was in high school. And I just loved it. I just fell in love with it. It's got that... It's, it's Well, I, I just seem to have a thing. I have an affinity for British music, apparently. And <laughs> certain type of British music. A certain type of British music. <laughs> similar type of vocals. Uh, with yeah. The bands. yeah. Similar vocals. Um, similar lyrics. Just I like I like music that that sort of touches touches that part of you. You know, not in a bad way, but in a good way. <laughs> no bad touches here. It didn't touch your no no spot. Only good touches. Um, but yeah, the Smiths, famously headed by Morrissey, who is. Uh, pretty well known for his solo work over the years. Um, the Smiths broke up, I think, in 88. I could look it up and be accurate, but I don't want to be accurate right now. I'm yeah, because I know in like lazy. 91, 92, Morrissey had an album debut and he had the debut party 
in Grand Rapids, Michigan, of all places, my what? hometown. And it was on MTV and everything. And, you know, they had, I, I don't know if it was like Kurt Loder interviewing him directly, but they, it, it, Morrissey in Grand Rapids, Michigan is just unique. You know? That's funny. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, Morrissey, he's, he's pretty well known for a lot of controversial views. He's an ardent vegan. Um, he's recently had some affiliation with a rather radical group in England that's kind of anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim. Is he going the Johnny Rotten route? I don't know. I don't know if it's, if he's, I think it's mostly because this group is also very pro-animal rights. And that's the reason why he's been supporting them. Yeah. I don't know exactly what he's thinking. He's he's just he's got his convictions, and animal rights is his big issue, and so he tends to go to extremes with it. And while I don't necessarily agree with him, because I eat meat, um, well, I still I like his music, and I always have. Yeah, I mean, the th when it comes to animal rights and whatnot, I think people that do eat meat can still support animal rights groups um, because I, I know like uh, D. Severe, who we've had on the show before, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, just, just constantly is linking on, on her Twitter page to, v you know, various uh, organizations and they show videos on, you know, what farms will do to like pigs, mm -hmm. for instance, and whatnot. It's just ungodly stuff when you can, yeah, and I realize you're going to kill the pig regardless if you want to have bacon, but, you know, you can do that while still making sure that while that pig is alive, uh, you know, having a, having a nice, healthy, happy life, and then, you know, when it is killed, just make sure it's done right away and not tortured. Yeah, you know? and I, I'm with you on that. I don't, I don't think any right-minded person would support animal torture. Yeah. That sort of thing. I'm not a big fan of factory farming. When I can, I try to buy, you know, humanely treated animals. And I have noticed as of lately, I've been eating less meat, which is, you know, it just is what it is. I just haven't been in the mood for it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. So, the Smiths, the Queen is Dead. That's what we're going to talk about. All right. You ready to dive right in? Let's do it. What overall did you were you feeling pretty good about it or not liking it? Well, I told you you'd be surprised by uh, my response. Um, it's it's unique. This is the first time I've ever really experienced this to where the singing, not a fan of it. Yeah. But the music, I really dug the music. Yeah, the Smiths were very very talented, and their their sound is is different than Morrissey on his own. Yeah. Morrissey on his own, he can be very, oh. yeah, he can be very morose. Um, but the Smiths as a band were much more, they had that sound of the time. They were more, much more upbeat. Well, they were ahead of their times in a lot of ways. And we'll go into it the more we dive into the songs here. But, you know, I, I could tell that they were a major influence on a lot of 90s pop Oh, bands, yeah. You know, like I, I think of like Sixpence and None the Richer. Mm -hmm. They owe a lot to the Smiths. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. The Smiths and The Cure both influenced a lot of 90s bands. Mm -hmm. um, so the first track on The Queen is Dead is... The Queen is Dead. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. And um, this song definitely talks, you can tell it's it's about his dislike of the monarchy to some extent. And then there's this one like line that he sings towards the end. Life is very long when you're lonely. And I just identified with that. 
Me, I, I, I love the drum beats that open the song. I, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it starts opening. out with a kind of folk song. Yeah, but the problem, I mean, the, uh, Morrissey's does not have the range that I like in a singer. Uh huh. Um, kind of, kind of uh, type of. It, it's, yeah. It, it doesn't go too far. Um, but it sounded like he was singing a page from a novel. Yeah. And it, the, the singing didn't do anything for me i thought this particular song was it was about the halfway mark i thought the song was over and i thought we got you know more than only half the song is done at this point i thought the song went on for way too long um the music was fine i you know this wasn't my favorite track off the album the music was fine but again it just this one just they could have added it if they edited um, the lyrics, and I think the last part of the song too is more of an instrument, uh, more mm-hmm. focus on instrumental. If they cut some of that, it probably could, uh, it could have been a little more palatable to to me. Yeah, but I, I just felt this one went on a little too long. Yeah, that's the thing with this album. I've noticed is some of the songs can be really long and go on a while, um, which isn't necessarily the case with a lot of their other songs. Um, for a really good all around sort of feeling for the Smiths. They have a couple of greatest hits albums out, and those are definitely a go-to if you want to listen to the Smiths, um, because it has a lot of their more their singles and the more the shorter songs that are really catchy. Yeah. Um, but I like this. This is the first album that got me into the Smiths, so that's why I chose it because I pretty much wore out that cassette tape. Mm-hmm. I I've played it so many damn times. <laughs> um, so the second track is called frankly mr shankly and it's extremely catchy i think this is like done starts right out like dun dun frankly mr shankly i'm a sickening wreck it, it uh, this was my favorite song off the album um i it reminded me of like an irish shanty or Duh, yeah or like dexy's midnight runner uh-huh you know just that type of deal you could imagine it being sung in a pub somewhere and everybody raising their glass again is oh yeah singing like it. Yeah, you can totally picture like people swinging their glasses around and yeah. singing along to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's this line from it that's all like, um, it's like, fame, fame, fatal fame. It can play hideous tricks on the brain. It's it's a typical theme with Morrissey. He talks a lot about like the dangers of fame and how terrible it can be, and he doesn't like the monarchy, and he doesn't he doesn't. Like, what does he like, man? He didn't like Margaret Thatcher. He likes to complain. That's what he likes to do, but I love him for it. Yeah. Um, he likes animals. He likes his mom. Um, but yeah, he's not a big fan of fame and stuff like that. But I just, I, I, I really love this song. This song is so catchy. Yeah. It's so catchy. And, and he's right to be, you know, concerned about fame because, I mean, we've oh, seen yeah. many, many instances where people you know let that fame go to their head you know charlie sheen you know robert downey jr in the past thankfully mm-hmm. thankfully he well that was drugs but but, <laughs> but that was due drugs, to the fame yeah drugs you know? come with fame like and yeah. and then you have someone like i mentioned earlier johnny rotten you know he's in a spot now thanks to the money he's made with the sex pistols and public image limited that you know he's can you know he has a narrow narrow view of the world now because of that fame mm-hmm. because he has more resources available than other people so yeah yeah definitely um but yeah i love i love this song it's one of my favorite songs okay. ever by the smiths um track three is called i know it's over this one 
it's really really sad it was way too somber for my yeah taste. it's extremely somber um um it, it did in a way kind of remind me of some of like pink floyd's darkest work and when they mm-hmm. get dark it's just too dark for me yeah it's pretty dark because it's basically he's like the lyrics are about being buried in a grave so like oh mother the soil's falling over my head mm. yeah okay yeah it talks <laughs> about dying and being buried and and also talks about the death of relationships it's like i know it's over still i cling I don't know what else, where else I can go. I've never done that before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So you should have identified with the song is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so track four is called Never Had No One Ever. That's, yeah, basically, I've never had no one ever. Basically feeling a lot of the lyrics have to do with um, feeling like nobody understands you. And you've never had anybody. You're never going to have anybody who understands you. Yeah, I mean the, the tortured artist. The basically. song just didn't click with me. But this is, uh, I'm not a fan of this type of British music. Um, British music from the '80s with the similar type of vocals. Again, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just my taste. Yeah. Um, it, just because it does come off as pretentious. It does come off a li- little bit pretentious, but at the same time. It's, it it really, it's all about the mood you're in when you're listening to it. Because I know when I've been in the mood, it just, it hits, it hits that right note in your head. Sometimes you're just, you're not feeling great. You're sad, whatever. You hear the music and it just, bing, just hits that, that little tuning fork in your brain. Yeah. And you never know what music will do that. I mean, yeah. I, I never thought I would ever relate to a country song. And after a couple breakups, Hey, what do we know? I'm liking some country artist, you know? <laughs> and, but it's, uh, yeah. Again, this one did not click for me. So. All right. Track five is called Symmetry Gates. And this is one of my favorite songs by the Smiths. Cause it's, it's very evocative if you if you listen to the lyrics it's you can picture Morrissey and some friends meeting in the cemetery cemetery to walk around and recite poetry and be and, pretentious and, and drink tea with their pinky no I'm kidding <laughs> no they're probably not drinking tea they're probably drinking stolen beers from from somewhere but well the note I had for symmetry gates it breaks out into a hootie and the blowfish song the, and I'm talking. I'm not talking the lyrics. I'm not talking the vocals. I'm talking the music. If you just listen to the the music, it really does have a Hootie and the Blowfish type of vibe. And that's this is the first track that that made me you know appreciate just you know, how influential there is. How influ- yeah, how influential. Yeah, I mean, this because is, this this was pre Hootie and the Blowfish. Don't ever think that the Smiths were inspired by Hootie and the Blowfish. The, I, I I know it. It just it, it if you get my point if you listen to this album and listen to this song and just the music not the vocals mm-hmm. it does have a hootie and the blowfish type of vibe it's definitely, which is not it, bad it's definitely I, I like got it. that like that upbeat kind of jangly guitar yeah but um yeah i love this song and i have i have an image in my head of a tattoo that i want to get based on this song <laughs> seriously i need i want to do it at some point but i have the image in my head it's just a matter of finding a tattoo artist who can who can execute it well, there are a couple places in town. I mean, yeah, and plus it's about like being responsible with my money. It's like I don't want to 
spend a bunch of money on a tattoo when I should probably be spending it on other things like food well, and shelter. But, <laughs> you know, just find out how much it would cost and then, like, every paycheck, dole a little away until you reach that amount. Yeah, I know. I know how I know how savings... Listen to me ac- sound like I know what I do with money. Yeah, it's like, money. I know how a savings account works, Tim. Thanks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, people that know me and, and how I handle money are probably laughing their asses off right oh, now. Why do you think I'm giggling? <laughs> um... <laughs> Yes, I know how a savings account works, but yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I have another, there's another Smith song, um, where I have a tattoo idea that's based on that too. The name of that song is called Death at My Elbow, and I want to get a, uh, a cat that looks like a Grim, Grim Reaper tattooed above my elbow. Okay. Yep. I will do that eventually. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> All right. Track six, Big Mouth Strikes Again. This is a good one. I like this song too. Yeah. Um, again, the music did remind me. Uh, it it had that. I I could tell th- that a lot of '90s bands had that influence from the song. Mm-hmm. Um, Morrissey for me is the weak link. If I, it would be interesting <laughs> to me, it, it would be interesting to hear what the other musicians in the band would sound like if they had a different singer with different lyrics, because. It would better suit my musical taste. That's the only reason I'm bringing that up. Yeah. Um, but just because there's a weird dichotomy with, with, you know, with how morose and, you know, he he can get with the up-tempo music that they play. It's just kind of a weird mix at times. Yeah. Yeah. And th- well, the lyrics in this song are so good, though. I mean, it talks about, like, Joan of Arc and her Walkman. I mean, it's just funny if you think about it. Yeah, oh, but just, maybe he, maybe so, if he had more range than I, I yeah, would like it. He but. admittedly does not have a huge vocal range, but he's very he's very captivating to watch because uh, I've seen him have seen him play live many times, mm-hmm. and you know his voice. I like the way it sounds. I had I feel like it has a really good tone, but he and he has the stage presence. That, and he's very, very charismatic. It's just... You really... You have to have a taste for the way his music, his voice sounds. You do. And, yeah. I, me, personally, I'm just not a fan of, of him as a singer. Yeah. This song is one of my favorites for the lyrics. Just because... Um, it's all like sweetness. I was only joking. Basically talking about how, like your words can get misconstrued or you're being sarcastic and then someone doesn't realize you're being sarcastic. Again, something that's yeah. never happened to me. And so then the lyrics are like, now I know how Joan of Arc felt basically taking his, his, um, his feeling bad, but then taking it to the next level of like martyrdom, basically. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very sarcastic in a way. The way that he does it, he's like, okay, I said the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. Okay, well, now I know how Joan of Arc felt. Still, that... And the flames rose to her Roman nose, and her Walkman starting to melt. So it's basically like talking about being persecuted for your beliefs in some ways, but he's taking it way over the top. Because... That's what they did, and I I got no problem with that. I mean, because I mean, to me, that can lead to humor. The best humor is when you over exaggerate. Yeah, exactly. Something. 
Um, but just didn't hit with me. Yeah, I just oh, I just love that song. Okay, um, track seven is called "The Boy with the Thorn in His Side," and this one is a little hit or miss, but I I like it. I really like it a lot. Um, oh, I, I like everything about it. I like the lyrics. I like the song. I like the music. I, I definitely dug the music. Um, again, common theme, and I, yeah. uh, I'm boring my sister, but <laughs> I've seen the same thing over and over again here. Um, just, I don't know, it just his, his vocal range just made, it, it was just, uh, it sounded like a drone. It, it just, it just when he would sing, I, I I would just tune out and not really pay attention to the lyrics mm-hmm. just because I was not a fan of how he sang. And if there are uh, other Morrissey fans that are listening, great, be a fan of Morrissey. I'm not saying you know my opinion should have any any measure. Uh, it, it should not change your opinion if you like Morrissey. But it just yeah yeah. Okay, track eight, Vicar in a tutu. <laughs> sounded like a Merle Haggard song. It, they went country. Really? They went country. Well, as far as the music, I'm not talking about the lyrics or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics are basically talking about the ridiculousness of religion. Morrissey's not a fan of organized religion. Well, he, I'm with him there. Yeah. See? You guys have something in common. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the lyrics are basically talking about how... In some ways, they're talking about how ridiculous religion is, but at the same time, about how... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, behind closed doors. It's insidious. No, not insidiousness. Um, oh, God. Brain is not working. Um, yeah, but... Behind closed doors, you know, they're like prim and proper on the outside, but then behind closed doors, the vicar's wearing a tutu. Oh, yeah. I mean... Like for years with the Catholic Church, with the mm-hmm. priest, you know, b- doing one thing on on stage, but then backstage, exactly, you know, little boys and all that stuff. Um, you know, I I have family members that are Catholic. It's not a knock against people that go to Catholic churches. It, you know, my issue is you know with the people that are actually running the Catholic Church. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's about um. You know, the song is about how people are not representing what they truly are. Yeah. It's like, he's, he's definitely more of like, if you're going to be a freak, let your freak flag fly. That's how, what's more of Morrissey's thing. It's like, just be yourself. And he... Well, he, it, under certain circumstances, where, I mean, when it comes to the, the, the example I gave, I don't want anybody to get that oh, freak yeah. on well, that boys, No, no, but, no, that's different, that's different. It's but just, we're talking if somebody goes into, it becomes a monk because they want to fight off their homosexuality. Yeah. Why? You know, it, be gay, be happy. Yeah, it, exactly. That's, that's how you were born. Be you. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try and stifle it down for some magical creature in the sky. Exactly, exactly. Um, track nine, there is a light that never goes out. I'm not really sure what they're doing with this song. It was just meh for me. I, you know, I. It's it, I, this song is one of the, the not so great tracks. I think it just kind of repeats the same lyric over and over again. Yeah, and it's just kind of meh. Yeah. And my sister's probably sleeping right now. Out of boredom. Uh, Hi. Uh, 
Just get. Just stop, Tim. Okay, and the last track is Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others. This one, I don't really get this song either. It had a weird I have sound just mix. Discovered. It had a weird Well, sound. yeah, it does that. It's like that. I don't know why they did it that way. Where they kind of like went, I don't know why they do that at the beginning of the song, but it's like that on every recording of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is another instance to where the music itself was great, and I know vocals are part of the music, but if you take the vocals out and just had the music, I would love this album. Yeah. I just, I don't understand the lyrics on this song. It's just kind of over and over. Some girls are bigger than others. I've just discovered. Some girls are bigger than others. I just don't understand it. The song doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, does he like big girls? Does he, I mean, what does is, what is bigger than others mean? I mean, I, I didn't even understand what that meant. Yeah, does it mean size? Does it mean, like, better? Personality. Personality. I mean, um, Morrissey, what do you mean? Yeah, because we know he's listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure that there are many, many a gothic person who have tried to decipher these lyrics through the years. I don't think any of his have succeeded. That Thanks I'm aware to weed of. or heroin, I don't know. <laughs> weed, heroin, cocaine, any number of mind-altering substances. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the end of the album. Um, other albums by the Smiths that I would recommend: uh, "Strange Ways Here We Come," definitely that one. That one is really good. Um, other songs that I like by the Smiths. Um, well, there's, as for another song that's about girls that doesn't make any sense to me, is Girlfriend in a Coma. Have you ever heard that song? No. Basically, the lyrics are, Girlfriend in a Coma, I know. I know. It's serious. And it just, I don't, I don't understand that song much at all. Um. Well, I would be in a coma if I had to hear him sing a lot. Boyfriend um, in a coma. I know. I yeah, know. It's, like, it's serious. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, the album Strange Ways Here We Come it starts off with, um, gosh, what's the name of that song? Anyway, it starts off with the song that has like marimba in it. It's really good. It's a really good song. I'll have to play it for you. But I cannot remember the name of it because I am so brain dead today. It's when it's like I'm on my second day off from work and... Yeah, we I'm just had, kind of we went out to dead. dinner and had a lot of starch, and we both just woke up from a nap. <laughs> yeah, so. so it's like, um, um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. But you know what? The Smiths is a great thing to listen to when you're feeling that way. <laughs> if if that is your musical taste, <laughs> I love the Smiths. Yeah, I will always love the Smiths, and i'm i'm glad that you liked the music i thought that you would like the music better than if i just made you listen to morrissey because i think that the smiths and morrissey while they have the same vocals it's definitely different music styles and actually on the more recent albums that morrissey has put out he's begun experimenting with some um some uh, sort of musical styles from other countries the one of the most recent albums low in high school um he did a lot of stuff that had a very Spanish and then Middle Eastern flair. He's going the David Byrne route? Sure. Okay. Um, it was good stuff, though. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. So, 
All right, well, I'm sure you're anticipating what my next album choice will be for next week. Am uh, I going to hate it? Am I going to like it? We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows! Well, last week you had made the comment of, you know, I, uh, or what, maybe the episode beforehand, uh, of not, the, you know, the fact that you, you commented that you hadn't uh, chosen an album yet with any women. Yeah, because I've, because kind of what we had come up with the idea for this would be albums that have kind of inspired us and have developed our taste in music sort of thing. Yeah. And all of those albums, it seems like, are like all very male dominated, which is strange considering how I've been brought up to be a feminist, basically. But yet my musical taste has been heavily influenced by men. So it's weird <laughs> well th- for me uh in my day job i'm able to you know play whatever music i want so i you know put you know have my own spotify playlist that you know has over at this point over 500 songs and i'm I, you know adding new stuff on all the time um and one of the features when you uh, do have a playlist together and hit the add songs button is that they will come to, like three different menus and different songs on there and I saw one from a band. Um, I saw their album cover, and it, the album cover itself uh, grabbed my attention because it was four trashy-looking women, and you know, <laughs> trashy-looking. I, I mean that in the best possible way. I love me some trashy women. Um, you know? So, what does that say about me? Uh, trashy. I mean, I, in a good way. I, I like great. You know, but it. I. I, I saw the um, I saw the song in question, listened to it, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was from a band. Um, they're they're not together anymore. This was their last album in 2012. A band called Tijuana Sweetheart, and the album is called Under the Gun. Trashy. Uh, again, you you think I'm trashy? Uh, in a good way. I like trash. Just the, to me, the, to me, a trashy woman is one who knows what she wants. Who you know is not going to play games with you and whatnot and you know it's just her own individual person i want to be trashy someday you know <laughs> trashy is a good thing for me okay it, it's like the it's okay. it's kind of like it's it's like i kind of like it's hmm. like with the movies i watch the movies i watch are trashy movies they're great movies but you know hmm. you get my point i'm i'm just gonna Okay, I I'm mean it in the best possible way. Yeah. <laughs> but Tijuana Sweetheart, Under the Gun, will be the next album we listen to. Okay. Well, hopefully I'll like it. All right, it's kind of a punk, like Joan Jett Ramones type of feel. Um, just up-tempo punk uh, type songs, so. Cool. Yeah. I like Joan Jett and I like the Ramones, so All that's right. good. We'll see if you like this trashy choice. <laughs> <laughs> you trashy, trashy man. Yeah. All right, with that, another episode is in the books. Our trashy episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just full of trash. Yeah, we're we're a little... Yeah, we're all hopped up on starch and nap time. Yeah. Sure. Something like that, but... We'll see you next time. How about that? All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
subscribe to Friends Talking Dirty on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.